Welcome to Season 3 of A Passion to Serve. My name is Don Kutnicki and I'm the host of the podcast. I have spent more than 25 years of my career developing and implementing policies and programs to help break the vicious cycle of poverty that too many people must endure. I've always admired the people I work with who've committed their professional lives to serving others. During the podcast, I'll be sharing their stories with you. Stories about work being done on behalf of migrant and seasonal farm workers and other underserved populations. I hope you decide to join me on this path of discovery to learn more about these amazing people and their passion to serve. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 19 of A Passion to Serve. During this episode, I had the opportunity to speak with Monica Reyes, who is the chair of the Hispanic Latino Commission of Michigan. Monica, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm really grateful for the opportunity to speak with you today. And a portion of what we are going to be talking about has to do with the 2020 census. But before we get into that, I would like you to just share a little bit about your educational background and professional work experience. Yes, I have a, a master's degree from Saginaw Valley State University and ABD at Michigan State University. But currently, um, I'm the director of the Great Lakes Bay Hispanic Leadership Institute and was uh, this year reappointed by Governor Whitmore to the Hispanic Latino Commission of Michigan. Um, I retired uh, last year from Saginaw Valley State University. I was the former director of disability services and the director of continuing ed and professional development. So I, I kept busy and now I devote most of my free time to uh, community service. I have over 30 years of community services, um, working with United Way, Habitat for Humanity, uh, Tri-City SARE, LULAC, um, alumni associations. And I currently still serve on the uh, board of directors for the Great Lakes Bay Health Center and uh, the Temple Theater uh, Latino Affinity Group. And of course, the Hispanic Latino Commission. So I'm really trying to slow down, but it's 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 been a transition. So I don't know if I'm slowing down or not. So <laughs> I understand. Well, yeah. before we started yeah. the interview, I mentioned usually the interviews go for about a half an hour. And if we if I wanted to ask you about all the different boards and the commissions that yeah. you've been involved with, that could be thirty minutes in and of itself. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so yeah. something before we head into and talk about the 2020 census, let's talk a little bit about the Great Lakes Bay Hispanic Leadership Institute. Um, I know that, I believe that was established in 2009. And how did that get started and, and where has it progressed to today? Well, um, I, at Saginaw Valley State University, I was the director of uh, continuing education and professional development. So I worked with a lot of young professionals and a lot of companies um, to grow their leadership programs um, within their organizations. And um, a group of Latinos got together and we were meeting to talk about why there was a lack of involvement of Latinos in our community, uh, within our, our, our different organizations, within our government. Within, and, and a lot of it had to do with um, a lot of them have an access or the educational background or even just understanding how to get their foot in the door to take that first step. 
And so we designed this as a, a community, community leadership organization um, here in the Great Lakes Bay regions. And we have built our reputation. We're in our 12th year. And our goal is to provide individuals uh, the opportunity to develop skills and relationships that help them become effective leaders. And the program pro provides um, that opportunity for especially young people under 45, but we do accept, you know, any anybody in their 50s um, also in the program as long as they're willing to continue to be involved in the community. Because we don't charge for the program. The program is actually funded through um, not only uh, support of sponsors, but the university is a big sponsor at Saginaw Valley State University. And uh, we have uh, companies like uh, um, Consumers Energy, uh, that, that their endowment, and um, ABC Construction, Dow Chemical Corporation. So we have different companies that, that have seen the outcomes we've had over these uh, last 11 years, now in our 12th year, um, of young people now becoming in, involved because we've kept track. So we have young individuals who are uh, part of uh, boards and commissions and, and they've taken leadership roles. We have some that are, you know, running for elective offices and a lot of them uh, personally in their own personal careers have taken on leadership roles within their own companies and organizations. I think it's, it's, it's more to help them understand what we didn't know when we were younger. I didn't know how to do what I did. And, and I was like a bull in a glass, you know, store and, and just feeling my way around and knocking everything down. Well, we put together um, a training program that builds that formula for them. So it is a true leadership training program. Well, I think that's fantastic. And I, I know, too, that whenever you're trying to move in those different circles, there's almost like a certain language or a certain yeah. way of doing things. And if yeah. you really don't know what that is, it really can put you at a disadvantage. Yeah. Monica, do yeah. you have an idea roughly during these first 11 years, how many graduates have come from the Leadership Institute? Um, we have over 140 uh, graduates. So we probably had about 175, 180 that have gone and started the program, but we're very strict with our credentials. You know, the university wants them to complete all of their elements. So the elements include a training portion, they have to do so many volunteer hours, and they have to do so many networking hours. We wanna make sure they have the full package. So 140 have actually completed the program, but about 180 have, have started it. Well, that has to be really fulfilling to see something like this spread its wings and to be, yeah. it's pretty uncommon for an initiative like that to, yeah. to sustain itself for that length of time. And just the mention of the different sponsors that you have shows that they really value what it is that you've helped establish in the same yeah. area. Yeah, that's true. So switching back a little bit to the Hispanic Latino Commission of Michigan, um, what have been some of your primary roles and responsibilities and what is been some of your main areas of emphasis, especially in light of the pandemic? Yeah, so um, I've been on the commission about five years, and I'm, I'm currently serving as a chair, and we consist of a 15-member commission, and we operate under the um, Department of, of uh, LARA, uh, Licensing and Regulatory Affairs, um, and the, commissions, the commissioners, each of them are appointed for three-year terms by the governor. 
themselves, you know, depending on who the governor is. But we exist to advocate for the well-being of, of Hispanic, the Hispanic Latino population. And, um, you know, we work for social justice and economic uh, parity. And um, we do this by communicating and connecting with all of the, the leaders in the community, the organizations and the general public. So we hold our meetings across the state. And so we have six meetings across the state each year. But mean, meantime, we also have, you know, a website, we have email, we have, you know, all our contacts are clear um, to everybody, especially within our communities. We make sure that we're connecting within our own communities uh, to make sure that uh, Latinos have access. So we've been working uh, towards becoming a, a, like a clearinghouse for Latino information. So we check in with all the Latino organizations across the state and try to gather information so that when we're called, we can be uh, that uh, informational source to direct them to the right uh, organization. So we don't pretend to do everything because we can't. So what we do is we try to connect the dots so that when we're called for information or resources, we know who to direct them to. Well, I, kn I know that <clears throat> right now the 2020 census is really um, a, a top priority for the commission right now. Can you please talk about why the census is so important for Michigan in general and for the Latino population in particular? Well, you know, the census itself helps determine the funding for our local communities, our state, and, and these are just for essential services. So um, simply put, the census helps determine how much federal funding Michigan will receive for health care, education, food programs, and, and many other uh, resources that Michigan families depend on uh, to survive. Um, you know, simply put, counting more people means more funding. But for a Latino community, the census um, is important to our democracy. The data collected will affect our nation, uh, nation's ability to ensure equal representation, which is important to us as Latinos. We need to know that, that the number of Latinos in our community so that we have fair and equal uh, representation and, you know, just telling people that may not be enough, but I can't um, state overstate that um, Latinos have been undercounted for decades. And this has disadvantaged us in many ways because when, when people are doling out the funds, if we don't have the, the count in our own communities, if we show 1% Latinos and 99% other, guess where 1% of the funding is gonna go? That's all we're gonna get. So we have to show our true population. So today, um, you know, we, we have our communities, we have our neighborhoods, which, are, which you know, uh, a lot of the Latinos tend to, tend to live together, but not so much anymore. In Michigan, we see that the integration, you know, um, really happening here a lot in Michigan. But we do still have our neighborhoods, especially like in Detroit and in Grand Rapids, we have our Latino, large Latino communities. They have to be counted so that we get that um, equal representation and equal access to all of these uh, important government resources um, that we're all entitled to. And, and I say entitled to because if we're counted, that means we'll get the money. And, and you know, it, it's important that we're counted and have that, that equal access. So for a lot of different reasons, people, I think, 
and, and in particular the Latino population in certain circumstances are really concerned about having their personnel or providing their personal information to government agencies and entities. What message would you have to them for those people who are really concerned about how is this information going to be used and it could, could it somehow affect me or a loved one? Well, you know, by law, our information is confidential and, you know, the census data collected is for those statistical purposes only and legally cannot be shared with anyone. So even if the president says, I want that data, they cannot legally give it to him and they, they will not legally give it to them. And, um, the, the U.S. Census Bureau is very careful about not identifying any specific household or any data that you provide. So, um, you know, we, we have to um, make sure we understand that by law, this is a law that our data is protected and confidential and will be kept that way. What are some of the ways that the commission is trying to reach out to some of the more isolated and remote regions. So, for example, Telemann Corporation, we work with the farm worker population, which they predominantly live in more rural areas. And what type of approach and strategy is being used to connect with those uh, individuals? So this year, we're very proud to say that, you know, we have done a lot of outreach to our different communities. And what we decided to do early on, you know, way back in March is we decided to connect with all those organizations and individuals in, in communities across the state of Michigan that are doing work with the census. And we're meeting bi-weekly online and we're sharing our individual strategies, our organizational events, our online events, or whatever we're doing, we're sharing that information with each other uh, so that we get the ideas um, on how we can work those same um, ideas in our own community. And so we think that we've done a good job of bringing all of these Latinos from across the state together in uh, sharing information because we don't have to reinvent the wheel to do this outreach. We can share this information and and use each other's resources and ideas to to do the best job we can within our communities. So that's been a priority for the commission um, of of connecting everybody together so that we do a good job as a state. So um, what I can say is that um, the numbers are good in Michigan. We're actually now ranked um, number three. We're tied for third place in the country. Um, in terms of self-response for the census. And so uh, within uh, the country, I believe the, I, I looked today and the response rate was about 61%, 61.7-self-response uh, rate in the nation. And Michigan, Michigan itself is at 68% itself. So as a commission, we're helping all of these other communities uh, check their own communities, the rates and how they're doing compared to uh, the state as a whole and the uh, nation as a whole. And then the, the U.S. Census Bureau has provided us with a good tracking um, online tool that allows us to um, check individual communities. So if, if we have neighborhoods that are not responding, they can fo focus their efforts in those neighborhoods. So it, it's pretty cool some of the, the things that the U.S. Census Bureau has come up to help us as communities. Um, this year. 
Well, and I was going to say, along with the, the ability to track it that effectively, I think they've made the whole process of completing the census a lot easier. Can you talk yeah. about some of the ways that it can be filled out? Um, yeah. Especially for people who might be monolingual in Spanish, what are some of the tools or yeah. what are some of the best practices with reaching out to them and getting them to complete the census? Well, um, the U.S. Census Bureau, they, they began sending out their notices, of course, back in March. And, um, you know, the good thing is that only one person in each household has, has to fill those census out. So they can do it by, um, by phone. They can do it online or um, uh, by paper also. So they can do all these requests. They can go to uh, my2020census.gov and even just enter in their address and complete it there. They don't need that postcard that everybody got with their numbers on it. They can just use their address. But uh, the census comes in 16 different languages. And so if you go to um, uh, my2020census.gov, um, there's an option there for to choose a different language if you need to. And if you want to have it done by phone, you can also call, there's a number on there that you can call and you can request a certain language. And, and so they, they make it as easy as possible. So let's say you have a household of six, only one person in that household has to fill out that census and they list the six people that live in. And, and I, I think someone, I had one of my friends time it for me. Um, she has five in her family and she said it took her about 10 minutes to complete the census. That's so fantastic. made it very easy and, and no personal data, no social security numbers, no annual, uh, nothing like that. And they, they, they keep the questions very basic and they want the basic information to, to assure you are who you say you are. And there are that many people in that home. I so. think that's all important too. what you just said in terms of what you have to share and what you do not have to share. And I yeah. think that's where the communication, the meetings that the commission has throughout the state, we can't communicate and get the word out enough just to make sure that people really understand the importance of it and why they need to complete this process. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Monica, the final question that I have for you is it's really apparent that your whole life has been one of advocacy. And I think in light of everything that is going on right now, I like to ask people what is inspiring you? What is your perspective as we look to the future? What are some of the things that really are standing out to you, both positive and, and, and negative or challenges that are going to have to be overcome. Yeah. So, you know, we live in a new America today and, and a lot of that has to do with our current, uh, I, I want to say it nicely, I understand. Our, our, <laughs> our current political environment. So, you know, we know that those, um, prejudice and, and, you know, just, just inequities exist in America. The good thing is, is that, you know, most Latinos were brought up with, with families that are strong and families that, you know, teach us to stand up for your rights. You know, there's no more hiding behind doors. There's no more, you know, just be quiet and they'll leave you alone. You know, most Amer uh, Mexican Americans are brought up and Latino, any, any, any Latino and Hispanic race is brought up you know, to speak up for yourself and to stand your ground and to, and to, to speak up when you think something's wrong. And so I, I want to encourage every, every American to do that, you know, no matter what your race or ethnicity, you know, we need to stand up for our rights because we are in America and America is a great country, no matter what, 
So we have the right to speak up. We have the right to stand up for ourselves, and we have the right to have representation and fair and equitable services here in our country. So I think that, you know, um, my dad, you know, one day when he retired, I remember when he retired, we were in the, the van and I was going with him to his retirement party with him and my mom. And, um, you know, he told me, he, he said, Miha, you know, now that you have an education and now that you have the ability to speak, you have to speak for everybody, for all your people. And you, you have to be a part of the solutions and not let things get swept under the rug. And so I think ever since then, I, I, I didn't know at that moment, you know, because I was just about 18, 19 years old. I didn't know at that moment what he was talking about. Now I do. And, you know, and, and, and so I encourage every, every young person that's coming to age and that's, that's getting their education, you know, whatever you do, don't forget your community and don't forget the others that can't do for themselves. I think that's a great message. And since I've started doing this podcast, Monica, something that has really stood out to me as well, which I find really inspiration is just knowing there is such a commitment and such a responsibility because of the people who came before us, the people who laid the foundation, who in a lot of ways really, really suffered so we didn't have to suffer. So you didn't have to suffer as much. Absolutely. And, and I think that, that just makes it that much more essential that we continue to communicate and get the word out and just to make sure that uh, no one ever feels like they somehow have to go back in the shadows. Exactly. Exactly. Monica, yes. I want to thank you so much for joining me today on A Passion to Serve. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to A Passion to Serve. You can follow A Passion to Serve on Spotify, where you have access to my interviews from seasons one through three, along with recently published episodes. Until next time.